Hello, when I was um, campus director with crew here at KU, we had a policy. So um, veteran staff got to speak about 25 minutes and the, the less you were on staff, the less time you got. So, you know, new staff got 15 minutes. So obviously today I'm gonna need some extra time. No, not really. I'll be done early. You'll get out early. Uh, I did come early today thinking I was gonna pull a Bill Vogler and you know, come extra early and I discovered one key difference between Bill and I is that Bill has a key. <laughs> so I went to Dunkin' Donuts and had some time with the Lord. So when Bill asked me to preach today, um, yeah, I knew right away what I wanted to talk about was from this passage in Corinthians that meant a lot to me through an accident. Most of you know that I was, um, I had a motorcycle accident a year and a half ago and uh, pretty significant. I had uh, eight surgeries over the span of eight months on my leg, and uh, I'm standing on it right now, praise the Lord. And many of you were kind of walked through that with me, and you um, brought us food and mowed our yard and, and took care of us and loved on us, and uh, it was a really significant time in our life. And this passage really meant a lot to me during that time, and so to be able to share that today is, is a pretty special it's a pretty special thing. So let me pray for us, and then we'll, um, we'll jump in. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your Holy Spirit and your presence today. I pray that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that we would know what is the hope that you've called us to, what are the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints, and the immeasurable greatness of the power towards us who believe. Lord Jesus, I pray you'd give us ears to hear today. I pray, Lord, you'd use me and your word would speak to our hearts and guide and direct us. And uh, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bibles if you have them to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 7. It says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying around in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to that which has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends more and more to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, 
though our outward nature is wasting away, our inward nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Um, I think the accident really opened my eyes to a whole world of people that, that struggle with chronic pain and difficulty and weakness and being a, a younger man that, you know, um, rejoiced in my strength and my abilities. Uh, the Lord really used that to open my eyes to a whole world of people that, that deal with pain in all different kinds of levels. And uh, this passage is really about weakness. It's about suffering. It's about perspective. And uh, I have four questions that I observed and that I want us to observe this morning. So the first question is this, what do we learn about from this jars of clay and treasure metaphor that he gives us? First of all, the jars of clay, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So last night I was at Hobby Lobby with my wife. Yes, you heard me right. I was Saturday night Hobby Lobby with my wife and uh, they had a wall full of these clay pots, lots of them, and uh, about half of them were broke actually. So this pot was on sale from $5 down to a dollar. And just to show you a little bit about my personality, it had a crack, so I got it for 33 cents. Um, a lot of them had a crack. So, but um, this idea of jars of clay is one that scholars believe was commonly used as a metaphor for weakness, for frailty, right? It's a common thing, it's cheap to produce, and it's prone to crack, right? We know from Isaiah 64, 8, that the Lord is the potter and we're the clay, right? And we know from Romans 9 that the Lord, as the potter and we as the clay, has um, sovereignty over us, right? He has control. We are made of clay, right? To dust we're made, and to dust we return. And we're weak, we're, we're, we're prone to break. Uh, Brenda has made a lot of clay, clay things, clay pottery she paints at our house and fires and keeps. And those things in the dishwasher, do, dishwasher tend to break, right? They tend to get chipped because they're frail, they're common. And that's what this passage is, this is the great juxtaposition of the weakness and frailty of us but this great treasure that is within us in the gospel, right? The contrast is pretty significant. But the reality is we're weak, we're jars of clay, and we're weak in a number of ways. We're weak, namely in comparison to the power of God, right? Several passages highlight that, the Job experience he has with God and others. The Lord holds the waters in the palm of his hands and and uh, we're like dust on the scales, all the power of the earth. So we're weak in comparison to the power of God. We're weak and powerless to change our nature. We don't have the ability to redeem ourselves, to restore ourselves, to make ourselves a better person. We're weak in the law, right? The scripture makes it clear we're weak in that we fail in upholding the law. We're weak to add to our lives. The scripture talks about that we can't add an inch to our height and Obviously, I can't add in hair to my head. 
uh, we can't do anything, right? Where we can knowledge, even in today's uh, Wikipedia and Google, we can't get the weather right sometimes. Um, we don't know what we ought to know. Uh, we're weak in comparison to the knowledge of God. In other ways, we're weak relationally. I can't seem to make people like me, and I can't seem to make some people be reasonable towards me. Right? No matter how hard I try, we, we just are not able to do some things. The truth is, we're weak. Paul knew that. In 2 Corinthians, the same book we're in, chapter 3, verse 5, it says this, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. You know, I don't have a, I don't have a problem with God being shown as powerful, but I do personally bristle at the idea of being weak. I don't know, sometimes if, if um, you feel that way, but even in confession, sometimes my sin says, I don't, I don't want to confess. I don't want to admit my weakness. I don't want to admit my failure, my sin. And often I don't want to admit my weakness either, um, that I'm fragile. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul says this, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This is one passage where I can relate to Paul. I'm weak in front of you in fear and trembling. Yet my hope is that the power of God will be what we rely on, right? And that's how we're guided. And so we're weak. And that was Paul's ministry method, right? Was to display his weakness freely and let the Lord's strength shine. Our weakness is simply the truth. And the sooner we face it, the sooner we can get past this, um, this idea that we're strong and capable and we can quit trying to delude ourselves about that and we can quit trying to project an image to others that we have no weakness, right? And we can get about the business of making God great and making his strength known and not be all about ourselves. And um, kind of this constant feel of maybe self-promotion or a mask. So we're weak, we're in jars of clay. But then it also talks about whether we have this treasure. Look back at our passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, four and um, it says we have this treasure in jars of clay. And previously in the passage, you can look at verses 4 and 6 and see a little bit about what Paul's describing this treasure as. In verse 4, it says, The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's our treasure. And in verse 6, it says that he has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. John Piper talks about this being the glory of God is seen and savoring the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Seen, seen and savoring the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's our great treasure. Back in uh, chapter 3, verse 18 in 2 Corinthians, take a look at that. It, um, 
it says that this is, um, well, actually, there is no 318, is there? It's a bit of a problem. Hold, wait for it. Um, Three eighteen is there? Yes, there is, right there. And we all with unveiled face. I just wanted to see if you're awake, and just to, just push the whole weakness theme here right off the bat. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. It's this treasure that transforms us, right? That um, changes us. And that's the that's this what this treasure does to us. He's our great treasure we've seen it and he's glorious indeed right it's the pearl of great price it's the treasure hidden in a field he's our great treasure um it's pretty easy often for things that are good things to become ultimate things tim keller talks about that for good things to become ultimate things and therefore they become idols to us and i think one of the great privileges of walking in weakness or walking in suffering is that those good things that have become ultimate things become plain to us. And the strength of God becomes more and more important to us, right? When those, when those things challenge us and those idols fail us, we have this privilege of seeing God for who he is and, and treasuring the gospel for what it is, right? I like to say that the pain makes it plain what the gospel is. Right? It opens up our hearts and strips away the things that can be idols to us, that can become more important to us than this treasure, this pearl of great price. So why this clay and treasure arrangement? We have it clearly in this passage. It says we have this treasure in jars of clay so that, right, the result is that the contrast should be great. It's not incidental that we're weak and God's strong. This is his design, right, that he would show through us the greatness of God because of our weakness. You may have seen a video um, on ESPN called uh, about Kyle Maynard. Kyle Maynard was born with a uh, degenerative uh, a disease that um, left him without any arms or legs. So he has little stubs for arms and legs and... Um, Went through a series, obviously, of depression, became a pretty significant wrestler in high school. I think he won. He lost like his first hundred matches before he figured out how to wrestle. Um, but perseverance was amazing. And one of the, the great feats he did that was recorded on this video was um, that he, he climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. Basically, on these little stubs and his little legs and some guys guiding him, he climbed a mountain. And I, I was thinking about what makes those kind of stories so amazing. And I think it's because in light of all of those weaknesses and deficiencies that Kyle had, the strength of the human will is able to accomplish something absolutely amazing, right? And you're just like, I don't think I could do that. How did he do that? And um, in some ways we're like that with the gospel, but in most ways we're exactly the opposite. This scripture challenges us that um, people shouldn't look at our lives and be impressed with how well you and I pull off the Christian ethic, right? They shouldn't be like, look at that person. They really, they live the Christian life well, right? 
they, they make it look easy. Yeah. That shouldn't be the gospel in us. It should be more like, look at Mark. You know, he went through something difficult. And I know that Mark has, is not especially gifted or talented or able. But look what God did in him in that tragic thing. Or in you, how you've persevered in suffering, right? They should look at us and say, wow, the gospel really came through in their life, right? The spirit of the Lord was strong in him or her during some difficulty. And that weakness in us should highlight the reality of that, that God is strong and in us there's this great treasure. I think that's beautifully illustrated in Acts 4.13 when it says this, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So I think the question maybe for us is what, what about you and I demonstrates the power of Jesus, right? Not what gifts and strengths do you have, but what about your life demonstrates the power of Jesus to others? How would they know that you've been with Jesus? What's changed about you? What's strong in you because of the treasure of Jesus? I have to ask myself, do I believe this? This truth that, this truth challenges my own desire for personal greatness and glory, right? For attention. That the strength in me needs to be Jesus and that I'm weak. It can be an affront to my abilities. But it says there, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that their surpassing power of God belongs, that power belongs to God and not to us. So that's the first question is what is what do we have to learn a little bit about the jars and clay and the second question is this how does this treasure affect the jar how does this treasure affect the jar look at passage uh second corinthians 4 and we'll look at 8 9 and 10 just a bit paul says we're afflicted in every way but not crushed perplexed but not driven to despair persecuted but not forsaken struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. So we have this, this uh, juxtaposition, right? The dying of Jesus and the life of Jesus. Hard-pressed, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Paul was real about his struggle but real about the effect of the treasure in him. The treasure in the jar transforms the jar, right? It enables Paul to inhabit the life of Jesus, to be strong, even though he was hard pressed, he was not crushed, and he was perplexed at times, but he did not give in to despair, and he was persecuted, but never felt abandoned because the Lord was with him. When I read this passage, I think about what kind of suffering was this? Um, because if this suffering is just about what it means to be an apostle, we've got a problem there in terms of our own application, right? Because 99% of my suffering is not because of uh, some apostle-like acts in my life, right? Um, is it suffering for people because we face affliction? Is it suffering 
Is it a direct result of ministering to others? Is it a suffering because Paul had a thorn in the flesh? Is it suffering because of his own sin or my own sin? And I think the context of this passage is specifically Paul's suffering because he was an apostle, because of his life as an apostle. But I think the greater picture here is this idea of, of weakness and strength, right? Is the strength we have from the treasure and the weakness we have as jars of clay. And that applies to so many things, right? So I think that this, this idea of this jar being transformed and this suffering applies to lots of areas in our life. And, um, you know, uh, he says there that um, in verse 10 and 11, look with me in that chapter 4, verse 10 and 11, it says, uh, specifically at 11, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. A lot of times Paul is sarcastic, right? I think even later in 2 Corinthians he talks about, so now you've become kings, right? And you're boasting in this and that. And uh, he, he's like, I wish you were king so we could all reign together. Or there's other areas in 1 Corinthians as well where Paul can be sarcastic. But I don't think that's what this verse 11 is talking about. When he says, death is at work in us and life in you, I think he's being sincere there. That there's something going on about the way Paul ministers to other people that means death for him and life for others. And that's what we need to take a look at a little bit. Always carrying around the, the, in the body the death of Jesus. There's three mentions of the word death in 10 and 11. The death of Jesus uh, being given over to death and so that death is a work in us but life in you. And there's a different Greek word used for the first word for death, which means it's necrosis. And the last uh, two times is thanatos is the word used for, Greek, uh, for death. And necrosis means a little, something a little bit different. It, it's more of a focus on the actual process of dying, kind of of giving over to death. And uh, so I think that a helpful translation for us might be that he carries it around in, in the dying of Jesus, this act of giving over, right, of sacrificing uh, like Jesus did, like he gave himself over and sacrificed. So there specifically, he's talking about the process of giving himself over, laying his life down, being a sacrifice for those that he ministers to. And that was Paul's ministry, right? Was giving himself over to those he ministered to. The important thing is that we're not as happy and healthy as possible, but that Christ is most glorified in our ongoing level of death for others' sake. Does that make sense? As we sacrifice, uh, as we give our life to others, uh, my actions mediate life to another. And that's what Paul found to be true. This death or sacrifice is in us is giving life to another, right? Those that we minister to. So maybe we could stop for a minute and consider in what ways is Christ asking you and me to, to, to die to ourselves for the sake of another? to sacrifice for others in weakness. For some, it might be saying you're sorry first to a loved one. Um, it might be a risk of sharing your faith with someone that you, you don't know how they'll respond. 
uh, might be some act of service. All kinds of ways we're daily given this opportunity to die to ourselves, to give life to another. Uh, out of weakness. And I think this was shown for me in my accident when I came home. I had a couple of months in a hospital bed in my dining room and lots of folks and some of you came to visit and hung out with me and, and others. And uh, it was interesting. Just I felt really weak. I felt like I'm a, I'm a minister here and I'm not able to do my job and, and trying to feel okay about that. And uh, people would come to visit. And uh, it was really interesting that after we talked about me and where I was and what God was doing in my life. People would be sitting there and they would often just start telling me about their life and where they're struggling. And uh, often those conversations really turned towards their heart and the gospel and the Lord used that bed. It used that time in the bed to bless other people as we talked about their life. And uh, that was a real vivid picture for me of what it means to minister in weakness, right? The time you feel the least capable uh, he makes us strong and makes us able. So the, the, the treasure transforms the jar and makes us able to do things we never imagined we could do. The third question is this, in what ways is good produced by our suffering and weakness? Uh, we could talk about the problem of evil sometime, which is not the topic of this passage, but uh, in what ways is good produced by our suffering and weakness? Uh, turn to Romans 8.28. Um, if you're in uh, faculty Bible study or uh, a uh, women's Bible study here, you've been studying some of these passages. And uh, this is a familiar one to many. And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Um, I think that there's a warning we need to say in terms of we talk about how does weakness and suffering result in good things? Because there's a lot of, there's a lot of painful things going on today right here in this, in this sanctuary and difficult things. And um, it's often quoted, you know, that all things work together for good. And uh, I think misapplied and can lead us down a wrong path. Paul does not say here that all things are pleasant, right? He says all things work together for good. Nor does he say, look for the good in everything, right? The things we often say. Rather, I think that he's saying here that they, um, they're all good in the sense that they're all useful for God's greater purpose. All things are useful for God's greater purpose. They might not be pleasant, and often they're not pleasant. The context of this passage in Romans 8, 28, is really about salvation. He goes on to talk about how we're foreknown, we're predestined, we're uh, justified and glorified, and that we're to be conformed into his image, right? All those things are the process of salvation, how we realize it in our lives, and that's the great good that's being accomplished in our life, right? And often through difficult things, all things work together for good. The Lord uses all things and all things are redeemed. A beautiful thing in our life, right? That nothing is wasted in God's economy. Um, I think that there's a great danger 
and when we try to make all things good. Uh, I know that some have come to me when I was hurt and I'm getting better and, and they'll be like, how's your leg? How's your leg? You good? Are you good? Right? You good? And, and, the, and there was a strong pressure to be like, all good, you know? Uh, but the reality is it's not, right? My leg will never be the same. It do, often does not feel good. But there's so much pressure. We want to make all things good, don't we? We want it to just be good. But when we do that to ourselves or to others, we exalt a good thing into an ultimate thing, right? If things are all good, then that's the world is as it should be, right? So I want to say, no, it's not all good, but God's good. And I've learned a lot about him through all this, right? And I love him better. And uh, that's the point, right? That's the great point. Um, but when we, when we suffer well, so the question is really is, is how can good things be, happen in the midst of suffering or weakness? And my warning in the beginning is that we shouldn't try to make all things good or pleasant. We should see the greater good God is after, right, in our lives to make us like him, to glorify himself, etc. But that suffering well points to some greater faith and greater power, right? Endurance often shows more glory than just kind of an immediate deliverance from a problem. When we endure well, people look and say, well, that's amazing. Look how that person is enduring with Christ, is showing the power of God. Um, between the first and second writings of, of, of Corinthians, the disciples, I mean, that church in Corinth went through some changes. And one of the changes is they kind of got through some basic things and then they got kind of heady about their faith, right? Started boasting, started thinking that they needed an apostle that was paid and highly esteemed that could speak more fluently than Paul. And um, it kind of got more into kind of a health and wealth kind of perspective. And I think that is true of us today in America especially. I think anything less than, than peace in our nuclear family, right? Anything less than prosperity, at least some level of middle-class income, anything less than usually being fairly healthy can be seen as a disappointment with God, right? These are the things I expected from God. Some of these core things that I've not gotten and that can lead to disappointment. But I think it's important for us to remind ourselves and with this passage that endurance, of, endurance with praise, not the avoidance of pain, is what gives God glory. Right? It's not about my comfort. It's about making tangible and visible in my life the glory of God and the strength and power of God. Take a look at verse 16 in our passage in 2 Corinthians. So we do not lose heart. Though our outward nature is wasting away, our inward nature is being renewed day by day. We know that I mean, our, uh, physically we kind of reach this peak about 20, 20 to 25, somewhere right there. And after that, it's just kind of a, it's a downhill slide, right? Let's just be honest. And some of us go down quicker at different points in our life than others, right? Uh, but we are, we, we, we peak physically and then we decay. This is, right? This is the deal. And that's what this passage points about. Day by day, we're kind of wasting away. There's the good news, right? No, 
That's the bad news in some ways. But inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. So as we see this kind of physical decline, we should see this spiritual increase, right? We're being renewed day by day. We're getting stronger. We're growing in faith. That muscle of faith is becoming more and more evident in our lives. And you know what I've been thinking lately is that's, that's a good trade, right? That's a good trade. To be stronger in Christ, to be stronger in faith is better than physically strong. Um, one of my favorite passages is Psalm 37:25. I have been young and now I'm old, yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging with bread. I want to have that seasoned, kind of older, wiser, more faith-filled view that God's in control. It's going to be okay. He loves me. He's strong and powerful. Right? There's a passage in um, the first part of 2 Corinthians. Let's turn back to that. Chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. The comfort God gives us is not primarily for ourselves often, it's for those that are around us, right, that we're able to bless others with as we tell the story of God's comfort. We bless others. And in our own, in our own passage in um, verse 15, uh, it says this, so that as the grace extends to more and more people, it may increase in thanksgiving to the glory of God. Right? As this grace extends to more and more people, more and more people praise God. There's this ripple effect, right? I want to say there's a wake of righteousness a wake of God's glory that follows us as we suffer well. I mean, as a kid growing up, going to lakes in Kansas and other places, we would always have more fun on the beach when a big boat would go by. And then about 10 minutes later, the waves would hit, you know, and for me as a Kansas kid, that was like less surf, right? I mean, this was big. And uh, you see the after effects, obviously, of the boat that went by, and I think that's the that's what he's talking about here, that there's this ripple effect as we, as we suffer and we struggle and we trust God and we see him be faithful and we glorify God, others are blessed by it, right? Others are encouraged. Others think, you know, when th that kind of thing happens to me, I think I can make it because I've seen God be faithful for that person and, and able as a wake of glory. So there are many good things, as you know, that come from struggle and from weakness the last question is this, how does Paul keep this perspective? I, um, I am a glory-seeking person. There we go, I admit it. I like to have the attention on me. I like people to think highly of me. Um, but this scripture really calls us to live a life of kind of deflection, of glory deflection, right? Of giving glory to God, of, of demonstrating to others the weakness of ourselves and the treasure and the strength of God. And how do we maintain that perspective kind of for the long term? And Paul says he does it with a focus on eternity, right? With his focus on eternity. And uh, look at verse 17 in our passage, chapter 4 again. 
for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. There's a wonderful play on words here that Paul uses if we put them together. There's a lightness and a weight. Uh, momentary versus eternal. And affliction and glory. When we think about eternity, and only in the face of eternity does suffering and weakness in this life make sense, right? Because it's such a short span. In Romans 8.18 Paul says this, for I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It's in light of eternity that helps us make sense. One of the things that stood out in this passage in Corinthians to me, it says this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. It is preparing us. And so we see suffering is not something that and weakness is not something we just kind of grin and bear through, right? Often we'll use the phrase that I'm going to see my way through this difficulty. But I think that literally means I'm looking through the difficulty to the day when it'll be over, right? But this passage challenges me to say, no, I want to see Christ in this difficulty because it is preparing for me for glory, for eternity suffering and struggles is not something that we just endure to get over it's doing something in us that's critical for our eternity with christ right it's preparing us it's not wasted um our culture is obsessed with being the most happy and healthy for the longest time possible right and i'm one of them but i think that that's not that's obviously not what he's talking about here. Um, it says in verse 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us into his presence. We have this confidence in the midst of difficulty of a future grace where we'll walk with Jesus and we'll see him as he is. And when I'm weak and I struggle, I'm more excited about eternity, right? When I'm strong and able and fully supplied, I'm not as focused on eternity. It, and the, uh, it takes a long view, really, to help make sense of our struggles in this world. Enduring suffering well means that his kingdom has come and that he's coming again, right? Because we suffer, we know that Christ has not come again yet. But when we struggle and we suffer well, we give testimony that he has come. We say that in the doxology often. Christ is coming and he is coming again. Hallelujah. That's what we profess when we suffer well, when we live a life of weakness with this treasure. Uh, this pot has a crack um, down the side of it, a couple cracks actually, and a broken lip. And. Uh, I was thinking about this passage back in, that we'd already studied. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God, who said, Let light shine out of the darkness, has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And 
when we have cracks and when we show other people our cracks, the light of the gospel that's shown in our hearts shines through, right? Jesus see, people see through us the power and the strength and the grace of Christ and give God the glory. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the treasure that you've given us, the light of Jesus that is shown in our hearts. Father, I pray that in the midst of challenges and difficulties and when we struggle, that we'll rely on your strength, Lord, that we'll put off our idols, the things that we've relied on to give us strength and we would proclaim in our hearts and in our actions that our God is great, gracious. He makes us able. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word and I thank you for the power that your spirit gives us to glorify you in all things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.